0: And now, before I read our sermon text for this morning, I want to remind you, as Eric taught us so well last week, that uh, this psalm is one of the songs of of ascent, um, one of the 15 songs that were sung by the people of God as they uh, would pilgrimage up to the city of Jerusalem for the major feasts of the year, Passover, Pentecost, Day of Atonement. And uh, as we read this psalm, I want you to imagine that we are one big family of God, one big extended family on our way to the city of God. And on that hill in the distance, we can see the city. We can't maybe quite make out the details of the walls, but we know those walls. We've seen them before. And we know that on that hill, the presence of God rests on the Ark of the Covenant. And we... Adults look around as we're making this journey to the city and and we see the little ones Chasing each other from one end of the caravan to the other running all over the place uh, Screaming laughing we hear children crying out for their mommies. We see uh, The younger men helping their fathers and their brothers uh, Deal with the animals and the gear the wagons and such Um, We're all one big family and we're singing this song. we're singing this song this psalm 127 written by solomon the king the son of the king david and it is a psalm that is not just about individual families but about the family of families the family of god so hear god's word a song of ascents a song of solomon a man who (coughs) was familiar with failure both as a father and a king, and so I want to hear what he has to say. He says, unless the Lord builds the house, those who build it labor in vain. Unless the Lord watches over the city, the watchman stays awake in vain. It is in vain that you rise up early and go late to rest, eating the bread of anxious toil, for he gives to his beloved sleep. Behold, children are a heritage from the Lord. The fruit of the womb is a reward. Like arrows in the hands of a warrior are the children of one's youth. Blessed is the man who fills his quiver with them. He shall not be put to shame when he speaks with his enemies in the gate. Father, would you come and help us to uh, take this ancient song that your people used to sing together on their way to the great city, and would you help it to become uh, a prayer and a song of our own as we journey together as your people to the great city of our God, as we come and gather here as the great city, as the great house of our God. Would you come, Holy Spirit, and fill this house, not this building, but this people, this morning and uh, help us to catch a vision for what it means for all of us together whether we're parents or not to love the next generation of your people at mountain fellowship in christ name we pray amen please be seated I was a youth pastor for over 25 years, and so I love uh, seeing on Facebook all the adventures of students that I've served in the past. Love seeing them get married. Uh, Some of them have children. I love seeing them become uh, mommies and daddies, doctors, teachers, uh, some pastors, missionaries. Uh, I love to watch what happens with their lives and the trajectory of their lives. Um, There are a few that didn't quite go that way. Uh, There's one young man who I think is now in his early 30s who um, has picked me to be someone that he uh, gets to rail on every now and then. And so every now and then I get Facebook messages from him. Um, He is now uh, a self-professed atheist. Um, He did, when he left the church and left home, he left Jesus. And um, we've had some interesting discussions, several hours behind the keyboard, writing back and forth, talking about his journey uh, away from God. And uh, one thing that he repeatedly tells me is that I've spent most of my life brainwashing children. You yeah, know, not real sweet, but I, I get what he's saying. In fact, the last uh, time that I heard from him, he, he said to me, you do wash, uh, brainwash kids for a living, you know. Uh, friends, we live in a culture that is increasingly convinced that when we teach our children to live in and for the Jesus of the Bible, we're brainwashing them. And some would even say we're abusing them. My atheist friends, uh, one of my atheist friends' favorite authors is a guy by the name of Richard Dawkins, um, a British atheist who has written several best-selling books. And in his best-selling book, The God Delusion, in a chapter called Childhood Abuse and the Escape from Religion, he said this, I am persuaded that the phrase child abuse is no exaggeration when used to describe what teachers and priests, or pastors, are doing to children whom they encourage to believe in something like the punishment of sins in an eternal hell. Dawkins believes that raising children to believe in the God of the Bible, or any God for that matter, he would say, that raising children to believe in any God is a form of child abuse. But let's be honest, everyone is being brainwashed, right? Uh, Everyone's being brainwashed into believing something. If my atheist friend has children one day, he will certainly teach them with his lips and with his life what he believes about all kinds of things, including God. His kids will be brainwashed too, but just with a different worldview. He will help shape the story of reality that his children will come to learn and live in. And so if if every child is going to be brainwashed, if we were going to call it that, indoctrinated by some story of reality, and they will, then I'm going to side with the Apostle Paul who said, do not be conformed to the pattern of this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. So what some would call brainwashing, Paul calls the renewing of the mind. So I'm going to be up front with you here at Mountain Fellowship. We are dedicated to brainwashing your children. <laughs> and here's what that brainwashing looks like at Mountain Fellowship, generally. We teach, get, we teach kids that God exists and that he rewards those who seek it. We teach kids that they are made in God's image but marred by their own sin. We teach them that the, the good news of what God has done through Jesus To rescue them from what evil intended for them and to restore them to what God intended for them to be. That kind of brainwashing is what I would call love. We love your kids, and that's what we're going to brainwash them with. And that's what I think Solomon is, is trying to get at here in Psalm 127. Um, that that's our job as families and as the church. So as we go through this today, some of you are going to say, well, I don't have kids or my kids are grown. I don't even have grandkids. Uh, so this maybe doesn't apply to me. I don't want you to go there uh, because this psalm it was written to God's people, the family that includes families. So we are all called to be a part of this project of brainwashing these little ones, okay? So uh, don't check out just because it sounds like I'm talking to families. Solomon is teaching us in Psalm 127 that children are the ammunition that Jesus has given his church to disciple and deploy for the sake of his kingdom. Verse 4 says that the church's children are arrows in the hands of a warrior. Israel believed that their God was a warrior king. They're arrows who have been given to us by God so that his kingdom will have ambassadors into future times and distant places. Given to us so that Mountain Fellowship's children will grow to be men and women whose voices of truth and love pierce through the enemy's lies. Where? In marketplaces and in the media, in legislatures and in living rooms, in classrooms and corporations, in every private sector and every public square. That's what verse 5 is saying. Arrows in the hands of the warrior so that he may have something to say to his enemies who are in the gate. The gate was where the leaders of the city would uh, have an impact on the city. That's what we're called to do. We're called to depend on Jesus as we disciple and deploy our children as weapons of mass renewal. Whom he will use to make his kingdom come and his will be done on earth as it is in heaven. So what do we do with them? What what does it look like to disciple them and and deploy them? Well, let's talk about discipling them. Verse 3 says, children are a heritage From the Lord. They are a reward. The first thing we have to realize is that they don't belong to us. We are stewards, they are His, and He's given them to us to steward. Um, We've been entrusted with an arsenal like no other. We've been called to shape these little ones into weapons of mass renewal as disciples of Jesus who seek first His kingdom and His righteousness in every role and relationship and responsibility that King Jesus gives them. But they come to us, as someone has said, as these crooked, knotty sticks. Not naughty, although, yes, that's true too, but knotty, you know, K-N-O-T-T-Y. They come to us as these crooked, knotty sticks. In fact, the Bible would teach that they they are bent out of shape. They're actually bent in on themselves. That's how we're all born. We're all born, been out of shape. Um, and so King Jesus has given them to us and asked us to participate with him by his word and his spirit to straighten and sharpen these little arrows so that they could be deployed. And, and that's what the New Testament calls the process, of discipleship, making disciples. So here's a question. What shape should these arrows take? And I submit to you that these arrows should be Um, cross-shaped. And here's what I mean by that. Jesus said that part of making disciples is to teach them to obey everything I've commanded. But Jesus also summed up, as you know, everything that the Bible commands in two great commands. Love the Lord your God with all your heart, mind, soul, and strength and love your neighbor as yourself. And so to be cross-shaped is to live a a life that takes on the vertical and horizontal dimensions of vertically loving God and horizontally loving others. And when they live that way, they take the form of the cross. But there's another aspect to being cross-shaped. 1 John 4.19 says, We love God and others because he first loved us. Our children won't love God and others unless they know that they were first loved by God. And how did we know that? By the cross. So we are shaped by the cross, by the love of Jesus in the cross. So the shape that these little arrows must take is that they must be shaped by the cross into the shape of the cross. And so let's talk for a minute about what that might look like in everyday life. I highly commend to you, whether you have teenagers or not, to grab a book by Paul Tripp called Age of Opportunity. It's, it's written for parents of teenagers, but the four, first four chapters of that book apply to all parents. And in that book, this is what he says that helps um, parents practically shape kids who love God and love others because they've been first loved by God. It's, it, it, I read this years ago, and it helped me, and I think Christine and I have tried to do this as much as possible. Um, but listen, we have to help the next generation, whether you're a parent or just another adult in the church who's also helping uh, disciple kids. We have to k- help them connect everything to God and everything to people. We have to help them see that everything is in relationship to god and we can do that some practical ways of doing that connect everything to god by praising and thanking god for everything not just at the table um, by talking to god about everything they'll think you're crazy but that's okay just talk to him out loud in the car by worshiping god at home in the car and in creation by reading and memorizing god's word together as a family by teaching your kids how to ask God for forgiveness when they've sinned against them. On and on and on. All of these are practical ways of connecting everything to their relationship with God. Teach them that life revolves around Jesus, not around us. Teach them that life, that the universe does not revolve around them, your house does not revolve around them, but around Jesus. When my sweet Abigail was in middle school, um, I I was trying to remember why we had this conversation. I remembered that my grandfather, at one point, you used to be able to name stars, so you would pay this money, and they would pick some star out there, and they would tell you all the coordinates of where that star is, and you could name it. My grandfather had paid to name a star, and so I had the framed certificate of where that star was and what the name of it was. And I remember showing it to the kids, and I said, you know, this is really cool because the Bible says that God knows the names of every star. And sweet little 12-year-old Abigail, Abby, said, oh, Dad, why do you have to connect everything with the Bible and God? Why can't this just be a science lesson? You know, why do you have to connect everything with God in the Bible? And I stopped and I said, well, because everything is connected to God in the Bible. She you know, gave me the middle school eye roll. Um, she has my permi- I have her permission to tell you this story. Let me tell you something, this young lady will be the first one to tell you this morning that everything is connected to God in the Bible. Now this is not to say, "Oh, what great parents I am!" I was actually shocked that she had come to this conclusion by our parenting that everything's connected to God in the Bible. That's the grace of God, folks. But that's an illustration of what we're after. Um, connect everything to God, but also, uh, help them see that everything is in relationship to people. Connect everything to people. The family. And the church family, the church community, are God's laboratory for love. It's God's laboratory for learning how to love people. Um, these are the places in our homes and in the church where we practice all the one another's of the Bible that God has given us. One another's like these. These would all come from the New Testament. Love one another. Outdo one another in showing honor. I know all these parents are going to have their kids memorize that one. Outdo one another in showing honor. Welcome one another. Bear one another's burdens. Bear with one another. Forgive one another. Do not lie to one another. Encourage one another and build one another up. Stir one another up to love and good works. These are only a few of them. The home and the church are the the laboratory for learning how to love people. So we connect every good thing that our kids do to someone else with love. We connect every bad thing that our kids do to others with a failure to love. For example, instead of telling, us, uh, telling kids to be nice to their brother and sister, tell them to be loving. You see what I'm saying? It's just a little shift. Everything's connected to love. Um, now... Be nice. No, no, no. Be loving. Um, Here's an example. Good table manners. Every parent wants their kids to have good table manners, right? But good table manners have to flow from a heart of love for the people at the table. Because what we could do is teach good table manners so that our kids look good and people like them. And that works. Even more convicting is the reason I usually want to teach good table manners is so that my kids look good and make me look good and other parents like me. But that's not why we teach our kids good manners. We teach our kids good manners because good manners are a way to love people. Teenagers who are learning to drive. Oh, your prayer life goes up like that. Um, there was an elder in our church at Cedar Springs in Knoxville when I was there years ago who, who used to say to me after, as we were parting ways, he'd say, All right, drive lovingly. And I thought, wait a second, that's brilliant. That's biblical. If we teach our teenagers to drive lovingly, we won't have to worry about them driving safely. We won't have to worry about them driving legally because to drive, lo- drive lovingly is to drive in a way that loves the law and loves the other people on the road. So just drive lovingly. You see what I'm saying? Connect everything to your relationship with people. The house and the church are a laboratory for love. Um... But as you're doing this, as you're connecting everything to God, and as you're connecting everything to people, one of the things you're going to learn in the lab is that you and these little ones are going to fail at both of those over and over and over and over again. But that's the beauty of it. God has given you, a, a, your kids a safe place to fail at loving him and loving others. But there's, there's another part of being cross-shaped, remember? Shaped by the cross. The other thing that the home and the church were made to do is to connect everything to the gospel. And so we as families and the church family become communities where our kids learn that they do not love God and others as they ought, but that there is a Redeemer who has loved God and others perfectly in their place and who has paid the penalty for their failure to love God and others. So... Every time they fail to connect something to God and every time they fail to love their brother and sister or their neighbor or their friend at school, uh, we teach them to take that to the cross. It's not just you haven't loved God well and you haven't loved your neighbor well. Yes, and that's why you need Jesus. And you have a God who has promised to forgive you and to renew you into one who loves God and loves others. His name is Jesus, and he loved you first. So, that's what we do as families and as the church, day after day, shaping and sharpening these arrows until the day when we deploy them. They're arrows in the hands of a warrior so that they might be deployed In the gate that place where the leaders of the city make decisions that impact the life of the city and our little ones become people who have that kind of renewing impact on the places where they worship work and live and play but that deployment begins now that deployment begins now even years before they leave your house so even those of you who have little ones and you're 18 years away from high school graduation. The deployment that I'm talking about begins now. When I was uh, living in Pensacola 20-some years ago, um, Pensacola has the Naval Air Station down there, and they have a fantastic aviation museum. If you're ever down there, you need to go, your kids will love it. Airplanes hanging from the ceiling, helicopters hanging from the ceiling, it's amazing. But the first time I went, there was a tour guide that I was following around and I heard him um, describing what smart bombs are. Um, Smart bombs are those missiles that hang underneath an airplane and the pilot aims a laser at the target and the bomb follows the trajectory and traces the path of the laser to the target. Guess what parents, we're the laser. Uh, it happens that kids will follow the trajectory of our lives. As the laser goes, so goes the artillery. Um, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to come back to that. Hang on. But the question is what's the target? What target is my life as a parent aiming at for my kids? What do I ultimately want for my kids? Good education, safety? To not smoke, drink, or chew, or go with girls who do? Do I want them to be well-rounded, to fit in, to get to the right college so they can get the right job and make good money and marry the right person and make me some good grandkids? Nothing wrong with any of those things. All those are wonderful things, wonderful desires to have. But the Bible, when it talks about parenting, says nothing about making those the goals for our children. God's goal is that my kids would be people who repent and believe the gospel and therefore become people who live and love like Jesus in the place where God puts them. That's God's goal. And he invites me to participate in that. Ultimately, it's his job, but he invites us to participate in that. And one of the ways that we participate in that is that we set a trajectory with the laser of our lives. That that is our target. Moses, as we read this morning, told God's people that love for God and love for others must be written on our own hearts before we teach it to our children. We must be in the process of being shaped by the love of Jesus into the shape of the love of Jesus as we partner with the Spirit of Jesus to do that same work in the lives of our children. We are apprenticing them into repentance and faith in obedience by grace. I think I put this in your bulletin, but uh, Marjorie Thompson said this, children learn what they live Children learn more from what adults do than from what they say. They are sensitive to the hidden curriculum behind teaching. Children quite unconsciously reflect their parents' feelings, values, beliefs, and living patterns. In all cases, the child is most deeply shaped by the lived message. And so I want my lived message to be one that says, I fail at loving God and loving others and therefore I need Jesus. They can learn that from me. (laughs) If our target is that our kids will repent and believe the gospel, how will they learn to do it unless they see us do it? So we must be a church who so trusts in Christ that we're ready and willing to confess our faults to each other and to embrace the cross together. And then we position ourselves to model the renewing power of the gospel for our church's children. But that calling is so overwhelming. It is so overwhelming. And so I think that's why Solomon starts his psalm with, unless the Lord builds the house, unless the Lord watches over the city. I think that's why Solomon starts by saying, um, you get up early and you go b- to bed late, eating the bread of anxious toil. You're toiling away, trying to be the perfect little Christian parent. Even if you're trying to do what I've said and just show them how to repent and believe the gospel and obey Jesus by faith, you're toiling hard. You're struggling to do that. And it makes you anxious. And he says, Don't worry. The Lord gives sleep to those he loves. He's using sleep as this metaphor, as this picture of dependence on God that we can rest. When you go to sleep at night, it's a, it's a surrender. You're like, I'm done. There's nothing else I can do. I'm going to sleep and everything's out of my control. If you and I are going to be the parents and the people of God, that God has called us to be for the sake of the next generation, we're going to need to rest in Jesus. We have to rest in him. And I want to tell you three ways to do that, and then we'll go to the table. First, depend on Jesus by preaching the gospel to yourself every day and to each other. Uh, There may be some of you here who are thinking as parents, Oh, great, there's no way. If, if the kids are following the trajectory of my life, my kids are already in trouble. Well, I know, instead of college funds, we should set up therapy funds. Yes, we're all ruining them, okay? But this is why you need Jesus. Let your parenting drive you to the cross. Even let your successful parenting drive you to the cross. Because as soon as you think, my kids aren't like those kids, you need Jesus again because all of a sudden you're starting to depend on your skill as a parent instead of on the Spirit of God. Preach the gospel to yourself and to each other. Parents, help each other. (laughs) Um, let's, Let's quit the comparison game. Compare yourself to the standard God has set and give each other grace to do that in the way that God has made you to do that. Let's give each other grace here. Okay? So I can't tell you how many of how many folks in well in this church and other churches have said, I'm so sorry my children were the noisiest ones in the room that they. Okay. They were, so what? Let's give each other grace. So preach the gospel to each other, but also depend on Jesus by praying. Um, Prayer is a declaration of dependence. It's It's a white flag of surrender. So parent by prayer and say, God, I can't do this. I can't do this. I can't be consistent. I can't be loving. I can't stop being angry. Talk to Jesus all the way through your parenting. Parent by praying. And then, depend on Jesus by partnering with his people. One of the things that Jesus said to pray about was that God would raise up harvest uh, laborers for the harvest. So, would you pray that God would raise up this congregation to come around you and your children and help show them what it looks like to repent of their sin, to believe the good news that Jesus loves them and he went to the cross and he rose from the grave for them and that his spirit lives in them to renew them. Pray that God would raise all of us up as uh, an army of repentant sinners who follow Jesus by faith every day, and we do that in front of our kids, and we invite them to come along with us in that process. Pray that God would raise them up. And the cool thing about that, when Jesus prayed that, uh, told the disciples to pray for laborers for the harvest in Matthew nine, then in Matthew ten. Jesus sent the disciples out to be laborers in the harvest. So pray for laborers of the harvest and then go be one. Find a way to serve the children in this church, whether it's just praying for them. Fine, that's service. Or whether it means helping out in the nursery or children's chapel or Sunday school or or babysitting someone's kids because they're about to go crazy and they need a break. Find ways. We're in this together. Father, um, thank you for this psalm that reminds us that our calling as your people is to, to disciple this quiver full of arrows you've given us as a church. To deploy them to live a life of repentant faith in Jesus as we all together depend on you for the strength to do it. And so that's why we come to this table today, because we need you. We're dependent on you. We come and we repent now. We repent, some of us, of our pride in our parenting. We we repent, some of us, in our despair in our parenting. Parenting. And some of us repent in our um, lack of motivation, um, our lack of really thinking about what it, what does it look like for me to be a Christian parent. God, we're all over that spectrum, and we we repent. We know that's not what you've called us to. So would you come and remind us again that Jesus? came for us as adults and parents. Um, We need him. Would you come and feed us with all that he is and all that you are in him. In Christ's name I pray. Amen.